All right. Well, well, that's not that's not our guest. Get out of here, Josh Strohshine. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Simply Cyber Live. I am your host, Gerald Ozier. And in the next hour, we are going to be talking to Scott Grow about cybersecurity product life. Now, what does that mean? In the industry, we regularly talk about SOC analysts, penetration testers. GRC analysts have been getting a lot of love lately, y'all. But there are other roles, and they're either directly related to information security or they're, they're adjacent, but they're directly involved with cybersecurity operations and execution at an organization. And that's what product management is. And that's what I want to talk about today. Scott is an amazing individual. I had an opportunity a couple months ago to become very familiar with him. We had multiple conversations. We talked at length about what cybersecurity product management was. I really didn't understand it and I needed to understand it better. And once I got it, I said, I said, Scott, like you've got to come on Simply Cyber. You've got to share these lessons with the Simply Cyber community. And he's like, absolutely, let's do it. Real quick, little, little housekeeping note, guys. You know, I love it when you ask questions. Let's keep it going. Drop a cue in the front, question on it. I'll mark them. And as you know, appropriate, I'll drop them in and Scott will do his best to answer them. And uh, let's have a good time. So let's go get Scott. All right, Scott, what's up, man? How are you? Hey, Jerry, how you doing today? Oh, I'm excellent. I'm excellent. I, I've uh, I've already lined all the guests up or, or lined all this uh, community up, told them what they're going to expect. So no pressure, but you got to bring the heat today. Okay. All right. Great. Well, hopefully I can, I can uh, give a little knowledge to everyone who's joining us today. So big thank you to everyone who is here. Uh, I hope you take something good away. Uh, like, like uh, Jerry mentioned, please ask questions uh, that, that will make this way more fun. Absolutely. So Scott, the, the million dollar question that I, I really feel like you should start with is in a nutshell, you know, like two, two minute response here, explain to me what cyber, like explain to me what product management is at, <laughs> at, at a company, because I don't get it. All right. Well, look, let's imagine for a moment, if you can, uh, Jerry, that you're, you're, you're taking uh, advice from a lot of different people, right? You have all these different inputs coming in. Well, let's pretend it's like Thanksgiving dinner, right? You have someone peeking in your, in your hosting. Someone's over your shoulder saying, you got to cook the turkey a little bit longer. And someone else is asking, did you get your mashed potatoes done? And someone else is telling you how important it is to have the gravy ready right at the right time, how to stir it. And all these inputs are coming at you. And these are all your stakeholders, right? They're all important because they're your family and your friends that you invited over. And you want them to be happy and delighted because you want them to come back. So as, as the product manager of Thanksgiving, your job is to try to satisfy all those needs. How do you prioritize their needs? How do you figure out things that they haven't even asked for yet and anticipate what else are they going to want or need? So to me, product management is taking something, a problem set in the world, applying a set of you know common sense principles like, okay, how do I prioritize or how do I better understand what the needs are? And then doing something with that, going off and in, in, in cybersecurity for us uh, as, a, as a vendor, it's what products do we build? How do we solve the problems of all these great people um, that, that either we call customers or friends or their potential customers or you know maybe it's a, maybe it's the board of directors that I need to solve problems for. So again, it, it's thinking about that holistically, like who are all of my customers mm -hmm. and then how do I work with them to deliver something that's really going to be mind blowing? Yeah. And it, and it begs the question or it's worth sharing with people because it'll really set the stage. Scott has, well, Scott, give us a little bit of background on your product management experience, because I think it'll really inform the audience as to what your perspective is when you're explaining what product management is. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I, I got into product management uh, after my time at General Electric. Um, you know, I, I was a huge fan of a product called FishMe. And for us, uh, it, you know, this is going the Wayback Machine a little bit, but for us, it solved such a big problem. Phishing was a huge issue back in the day. And so this product came along and it started to address one of the things that we had had a challenge with. How do we get the employees at a company, right, to figure out what does it mean? So, you know, I, I got into raving fan mode. I loved this solution. I loved everything they were doing. I was emailing the CEO every day. I'm like, hey, what have you thought about this? Mm -hmm. Or th this would make my life much easier because today I have to stitch together 17 reports. And what I really need is this one consolidated thing. Or have you thought about this type of this or that type of that? Um, 
and so uh, they're like, you know what? You're such a pain. Why don't you just come work here and you can be the product guy. And so that, you know, I, I, I went over to, to fish me at the time, uh, later rebranded to CoFence. But what got me excited about it, Jerry, was, you know, you wake up every day and if you're a practitioner, uh, there's a lot of vendors out there and they all, most of them are really trying to help you but there's always gaps. There's these little pinholes all over the spectrum of things that they don't solve for and problems that persist. So moving out of being a practitioner and trying to solve those problems for my company and then getting into a place where you can go build solutions. Mm -hmm. I was like a kid in a candy store. I was, I was like, Oh my gosh. I'm like, well, we have this one cool thing. What if we did the X, Y, Z and let's talk to these customers and figure out how else we can help them actually on this other side of the equation. Cause we're focused over here, but this mm -hmm. is a big long conveyor belt and they're going to have problems down here. We can probably help there because no one else is doing that. And so to, to me, just the ability to take my real world experience um, from running, you know, at that time it was fishing defense uh, for, for, uh, for GE and take that into a vendor space and be able to say, all right, I'm coming in with a bunch of knowledge about what the problem sets are. And I can apply that and help help this company grow and address those needs of all those awesome customers out there. So, it, you know, for the, for the people in chat, right, a lot of us are practitioners and we have tools at, at our work, right? So like, you know, we have a SIM, we have an EDR solution and, you know, as a practitioner, Scott, I feel like the product is what I what it is, right? It's like this is what you would get, and for all of its strengths and all of its weaknesses, that's what it is. And if you don't like it, you switch solutions. Like I don't like just to make names up. These this isn't casting any judgment, right? So yep. I don't like um, Cisco Secure Endpoint AMP. So I'm going to just move to Windows Defender. It never occurs to me that I should call. Cisco secure endpoint to tell them that their product is bad and I want them to fix it. So, I mean, are you saying that there is a reality where the, the product management team wants to hear from end users and will do something about it? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I, I talked a little bit earlier with my Thanksgiving analogy about what is it like all those different inputs. And, and for me, I think about them as feedback loops. One of the best feedback loops are the people using your products. So, you, you know, in, at CoFence, I wanted to hear from every customer. Not, not same thing in abstraction now. I, I need to hear from the customers. What's good? What's bad? What other problems do you have that I'm not solving? And, and uh, the, the one piece of advice I can give to everyone who's listening today is that it's really critical. Don't come with a solution because um, the solution might not be the best way to solve the problem. Tell me the problems you're trying to solve. Help me understand. And, and, and sometimes that is just having an hour long session. Sometimes it's inviting the product team from your vendor out to your organization and letting them sit down next to you and experience mm -hmm. your reality. Uh, it's extremely powerful. And in all honesty, product people are your best friends. Uh, the, the other thing you might hear from them is they might be like, ah, Jerry, I'm really sorry. That doesn't align with the rest of the priorities that we have. Um, so I, I hear you. I understand. It would really stink to lose you as a customer. But that's just not in alignment with where strategically the company's going or what our product roadmap is looking like. So you also get uh, some some brutal honesty sometimes, which is actually very helpful in today's market where there's 18 billion cybersecurity vendors out there. So we might make your life easier in making the decision to, to stay or go, right? Yeah, exactly. And, and Tom Pike chimes in that, you know, some of the most powerful tools is your is your budget, right? Your Your pocketbook or your voice. Uh, so certainly using either of those can help influence a product uh, to make a change. Uh, we are getting some questions because we, we do want to focus um, on the, like as a day in the life and the yeah. role of product management, almost think like Scott, like you're talking to a, a bunch of people who could potentially be on your team. Right. So, you know, Carrie asked a question and Carrie has been a, a member of the simply cyber community for a while, trying to break into the industry he wants to know, you know, he worked a lot in retail. Is there transferable skills that would map to product management? Yeah, there, uh, Carrie, there could be. Um, you know, one of, the, one of the things that I found that's really helpful is having a passion for the space and for the customer that you're serving. Um, so, so again, for me, I come from a cybersecurity background. I've, I've had success uh, being a, a product leader at cybersecurity companies. Um, I understand the space. But even if you don't have that skill set, 
you might not be able to jump directly into product management, but boy, there's so many other opportunities um, that you could they could help get you that introduction into the company. There's product owners, uh, which is a more direct tie to the engineering staff, making sure that once the strategy is is set, we figure out you know on the product side we have to think about what's the roadmap. Not what are we working on today, but what are we going to work on next quarter or maybe even next year? What new products do we want to bring to market? So there's a, there's a strategic layer there. And again, you can bring that from retail very easily. But if you don't have that yet and you don't understand the space yet, product owners are a really good um, role where you could work directly with the engineering team saying, all right, here's tactically the things we want to build. Now, how do I prioritize that so we get the work done and we can deliver those great capabilities back to our customers? Yeah, great, great point. Um, and and product owner really is, I, I feel like product owner is the role that you will see listed on job recs, right? I mean, is that kind of the the token generic title is product owner? You know, some people use them interchangeably um, it, it, and with good reason. Sometimes the product owner owns more of the externally facing and not just internally facing. Mm-hmm. Product owner also has a lot to do with the agile framework and um, how, how do you organize teams to be successful? Uh, in, in organizations I've worked with, typically the product owner is much more internally focused. And usually there's a product manager who's more externally focused. So not, not that not the product owners can't speak to customers or talk to the sales team or the marketing team or be involved in, in developing content that we go out to market with. Uh, but a lot of times their focus is more making sure that we have really good requirements um, mm-hmm. in, you know, ready for the engineering team to go execute on. Yeah. Another question coming from chat here, Nick Barker, by the way, shout out to Nick. Nick was one of three people who saw a renegade live stream earlier today of me getting my, my butt absolutely handed to me in a cybersecurity simulation platform. So Nick, thanks for being there. Uh, Nick wants to know, Scott, is this like a little less technical, more people extroverted? Like who, what's, you know, I guess from a cybersecurity skill set and person's mind, uh, personality, who fits into these kind of product roles? You, you know, every every product leader can be can be different. You don't have to. I, I am a little bit more extroverted, but uh, I am also a technical person. Um, so yeah, I, I think Jerry, I probably shared this story with you. Yeah, it, I, I've been known to crack open um, uh, specifications. You know, the probably it's been a little while now, but the most recent one, I I looked through the whole open office uh, framework to figure out how to exploit it. So I, I, the technical skills are, are needed because then you can you can figure out how can we do this and you can work with your engineering partners. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, that's a strategic relationship. So having the engineering chops, understanding how things actually work is really important, but just as important as being able to turn around and relate to your customer. Um, again, I'm fortunate enough that I, I think I can go down and have the conversation with with a low-level engineer who's real, meaning they're deep in code, and is really technical, and then I can turn around and, uh, like, like like we're doing today, Jerry, and have a good conversation about, hey, how do I go talk to a CIO or even a CEO at another company, mm-hmm. and, and have a good conversation there? So it's a spectrum, you know. I, I think there's plenty of places to fit within the, and I'll call it the product organization. So I'll think about my role, but I'll also think about the teams that I've had, uh, I've been lucky enough to work with. There's a lot of different functions in product management. Um, you know, when, when you're at a startup though, you play, you played a lot of, you play a lot of the roles yourself as well as roles on other teams that don't exist yet. Well, I mean, that actually warrants another question, Scott. So, you know, we, we won't dig deep into startups, but for those of you in chat who don't know, start like working at a startup is very, very different than working at like a fortune 500 company. It's, it's very different for many reasons. Do you see product management, product owners, these roles, do you see them only at startups or, or does somebody like, you know, Cobalt Strike that's like, you know, well-established or Cisco, do they have product owners? Like, is it, is it, what's it like, you know, for startup versus well-established? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. They exist in, in every, in every industry too, I'll say. Anyone who sells something has product teams uh, and those product teams are typically focused on things like how do we package something up? And that could be anything from literally physical packaging. Like what's the box look like that we're putting our product in? And then, you know, on the cyber side or software companies to things like, how do we talk about the product? What do we, what do we want to name it? Um, there's a, there's a lot of different things that go into it, but what you'll notice at larger companies, just the, the role can be skinnied down because there's a lot of work within, within a more narrow space within the, the entire, what I'd call product management world. 
and again, product managers can be, you can be doing anything from like earlier today, I, I, I did a podcast uh, on ransomware. Um, you know, now I'm talking with you. I, I, uh, I was in a, a branding session with our marketing team. I had to write marketing documentation. I was on customer calls, uh, helping them actually troubleshoot. So the, it, and then I was on another call where I did a roadmap review with someone. So you get pulled in a lot of different directions when you're smaller. And mm-hmm. as the, as your company grows, you get to focus in. So if you really enjoy the, how do we pr- do prioritization? There's probably a function that just does that. You know, how do I use all the data that we know about our customers and about the market to help us make good decisions about what do we actually work on next? Interesting. So, and really quick as an aside, I just dropped the question in chat, but it- if people, I think LinkedIn is kind of messed up right now. So if you're on LinkedIn, you can't chat or comment or whatever, come over to the YouTube channel on Simply Cyber. Um, but um, as a quick aside, since we're talking about startups, Scott, yep. if people are interested in doing another stream, like you come on for another stream, just talking about startup life, because you've worked at multiple startups and you've got you know basically a lot of time in the saddle with that. Would you be yep. interested in coming back? Oh, I would love to, especially if, you know, if your audience would like to hear me talk about that, I'd love to talk about it. It's such an interesting world. And like you mentioned, it's, it can be vastly different, but it's really exciting Um, because I've worked on both sides, right? General Electric, giant multinational company. Um, You know, when I joined FishMe, I was the eighth employee. So Brian, thank you. I I would love to bring it if, if Jerry will have me back. Yeah, I think we can we can definitely schedule it. Um, I, I've asked people to drop a thumbs up emoji in the chat if they want it. So we'll we'll go back and count those later. Um, so Scott, you have definitely uh, interviewed more than one person for your team for product management. So Wes is wanting to know, you know, what what do you look for when you're interviewing someone for your team? What are you looking for? Yeah, so so I'll I'll focus on if you're going to be the product leader over a product in the company, um, someone who's organized, someone who understands the space that we're working in, and cyber's such a such a big broad area. Um, so you know, if if it was a company focused on email security, I'd want to know that someone had some skills around email, or they understood how that the email solutions work. Um, so having some level of of knowledge around the space that we actually play in is extremely helpful. Um, if you've been a practitioner, actually, I love it. If you've been my customer, so to say, or a persona that I've, I've been trying to attract as a customer, they make some of the best product managers. So understanding if someone's able to uh, capture information, like, you know, mm-hmm. the, the, some of this isn't rocket science. <laughs> so are, are you able to have a conversation, actively listen, get down to the root, root problem that we're trying to solve for someone, capture those details, articulate it back to another team, because that's really the big handoff that product has to do. We have to take information from different people, organize it so that engineering teams can execute on it, Um, and then be able to prioritize. And that prioritization, again, comes in many forms. Uh, I talked about who the customers are, right? So as a product leader, you want to understand what is your what does the company's board want? What are your company goals this year? What are all my customers asking for? What are other competitors in the market doing? Um, you know, so, so where do we need to be agile, nimble, and able to pivot if we needed to? And then where are all the great opportunities? So someone who has some of those skills, and it doesn't have to be all of them, is an ideal uh, product manager. So, so Wes, if you're looking for a role like that and, and parts of those excite you, you can learn the other pieces. Um, you know, you, if you've never used Jira to log tickets, like that's not a big deal to me, but you can sort that out later. But if you understand how to have a conversation with someone, understand the real root problem that they're trying to solve, and then translate that into some business objectives for engineering staff. That's a great thing. It's a great, or, or it doesn't even have to be for engineering. Maybe you let a team um, at, at an organization. So there, there's a lot of different folks that, that to me, translate into great product leaders. Well, we've talked a little bit around this, but you kind of just mentioned that having industry experiences is pretty valuable. Can someone get in, like, does someone have to have previous cybersecurity work experience in order to get a product owner job or a product, you know, even like an entry level product, you know, owner type role? No, I don't think you have to have cybersecurity. I mean, if you've, I, I think that the harder jump is from, from something that's not software related. So there's a lot of different technical roles that can easily transition into product leaders. And I'll, again, I'll use that product, product managers, product owners. 
Um, also, you know, some of the best people that I've worked with that have transitioned into to these types of roles are people who have led engineering teams because they're, they're the ones who have to actually execute on all the great ideas that other people have. So if you've led an engineering team, you know how to also, or if you've been part of an engineering team, you know how to ask questions, to clarify, to make sure that the, the, whatever we're going to deliver is really meeting the need and mm -hmm. we're not missing the mark. So th there, there's a lot of uh, translatable skills to me inside of technology that come over well. There's also sales skills that are interesting. Sales engineers can make great product leaders. Um, actually, people in tech support. Mm -hmm. um, you know, sometimes it's those frontline people that are answering the questions day in and day out. They start to build a vision of, wow, where could we take this? Here's all the cool things I'm hearing. And so they align really well with product management. And again, you could probably pull from a lot of different places too. marketing could, could be a product leader. Um, you know, th there's a lot of different roles that translate over really well. And so you don't necessarily need the cyber experience. Okay. Well, that's good to know. So just a bite asks, you know, um, this is a specific cert, but you know, of where you can come from, what about project management? You know, if you're a PM. Yeah. I, I think being a project manager, it, you know, the, a lot of my day is spent managing things, right? Uh, be it initiatives across the business, making sure that uh, the, the the team supporting our, our missions have everything they need to, to execute and be successful. So uh, project management skills come in extremely valuable um, in being a product leader because it is, it's a lot of coordination. It's a lot of pulling people together. Um, and, and a lot of times what you'll notice is the product management team should be small. Um, we're, we, we should be influencers within the organization. We bring people together explain what the vision and what the what the objectives are and then those teams have to go out and execute um and, and that again they may pull us back in but you know i don't lead the marketing team marketing is mm -hmm. one of my big customers uh, i don't lead the sales team but uh, the, the the sales staff is a huge customer i i have to develop stories for them so they understand how to talk about the product so yeah project management's a great uh, a great transferable skill who who does who does product report to like what, what's the organizational structure at a, at a company? Because, uh, I mean, are you considered like corporate, like uh, like a cost center or, you know, like how information security is a cost center and they typically report to CIO who reports to CEO yep. typically. Where does product fit in the corporate structure? So, so when, when I'm thinking about, on the, since I'm on the vendor side, I can talk really intelligently about that. Um, as, as someone who sells something, you know, where we sell uh, software as a service, and that's what I've done in the past too. Uh, I report to the CEO, um, and sometimes in a smaller company, you might report to the CTO. Uh, you know, especially with a technology company, a lot of times the CTO is the—they're really the visionary, the luminary in the room, and they mm -hmm. have wild ideas. And so they—they they bring in um, some folks to help them organize those ideas, and so you can go forth and execute on them. And, and you know, that's the typical reporting structure I've seen. Okay, I like that. Now, one of the questions that I had prepared is, you know, I put EDR and email security here, but like, say you, you're a product person, like you get a job, I, I guess the, the, the virtue or the nature of this question is, are you pigeonholing yourself if you become a product person in EDR, where now you just have to kind of live in that space? Or are you, are the skills transferable where you can move around the industry because there's a ton of places that sell product? And, and, you know, basically live your best life. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say you're not pigeonholing yourself. Um, I think, <coughs> excuse me, if you're a good product leader, uh, you're going to develop your own set of tools that you use to help with everything from prioritization to messaging, collaboration, and, and that's internally and externally. And, and so there's a lot of the skills that are transferable. I think one of the best things uh, as being cybersecurity uh, folks is keeping keeping yourself um, current with what uh, what other products are there on the market. So you know what you, the the pigeonholing to me in a scenario like this would happen if all you ever think about eat breathe and sleep is EDR. Then when you're like, all right, I'm done with EDR. If you don't know what else is out there and what other problems other companies are solving, mm -hmm. that makes it a little bit tougher to transition. You're gonna have to do some homework and learn about those industries real quick. So okay. I, yeah, the, 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 the hard skills definitely transfer, always stay current with technology though, because that'll help you, you know, you, as an individual be more marketable as well. Well, so now I'm curious, just, I mean, this is not a shameful plug, 
Um, <laughs> but, but, you know, I feel like with the people in chat, they probably do it already. But like, so every morning I do a daily cybersecurity threat briefing. And the reason I do it is so people can stay informed on current, the current news, the current threats yeah. affecting us so we can be practitioners. Would something like that be beneficial to a product manager or is it yeah. not as important to know the day-to-day goings on? No, it's actually extremely important. Um, you, you know, I, I think about like the, you know, uh, the Okta event that just happened. Oh, yeah. it, it's really important for, for me to be aware of that um, for, for many reasons. One, does it impact our products and services that we're delivering out? I have to know about that. Uh, secondary is there a new opportunity for us. Um, can we go help all these customers of Okta? Uh, can we, is there something we can do to be part of the solution there? Uh, so I think staying current on on the the threats, the exploits, and and how people are addressing those in the cyber world is extremely important. So ears to the ground is to to me it's the best way to stay. You know, like so what you do, Jerry, is fantastic because you're giving a lot of great information out there. And it is a good opportunity for you to learn, even if it's not necessarily specific to as a practitioner to what you do day in and day out. Being aware of those other areas is so helpful. Oh, good. Well, thank you. I, I will I will be sharing that with the community as I try to, you know, evangelize the fact that I do this thing every morning. Yep. Or or that we all do. All right. So here's here's a tough question. Uh, Scott, that just occurred to me. And I, I, if you can't answer it, I totally understand. Okay. So how much of your time in general, or, or let's straw man this, how much of a typical product person is spent making the existing product work correctly versus developing new functionality that the salespeople can whip up and sell? Uh, this is the big struggle, right? Um, <laughs> you know, I, Jerry, I, it, there, there's not an easy way to do it. I Typically, when I think about that, I'll put this as road mapping, right? You always want to be innovating, right? You And those new capabilities don't have to be brand new, but they can solve a, a problem or do something better. So when I, when, when I typically road map, I take all of these ideas that we have and I start to put them into buckets. Maybe it's an innovation bucket. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's a, a sales enablement bucket. Maybe there's an adoption bucket, meaning like how do how do I make it easier for my customers to use the product? Like, can we make it more frictionless? Do we integrate with more uh, other cybersecurity solutions? You mentioned it. Like, how do we get the data out of our thing into your SIM? Um, how how do we make it not disruptive to use my product? Um, so I take all of that, and then you have to at some point you have to do this, right? You have to have a methodology of how do you prioritize. And so for me, you you create an algorithm, right? And so you say, okay, is this going to help us improve our retention, make our customers who love us, love us more? Mm-hmm. Is it going to help us open up new markets? Uh, is it a brand new revenue stream? Can we sell something new to existing customers? Something that they've been asking for, of course. Um, so you start to take things like that and understand, and then and then you apply that to each one of those items that we talked about. Like, oh, okay, well, if we do SSO integration, um, and that makes it really easy to authenticate, that's going to make current customers who have been asking for that love us more, more likely to renew, and that's uh, that means we're bringing more value to them. That's a good thing. Uh, so you can use kind of data to help you drive those decisions, and I think that's actually a really important thing. Um, uh, you know, because I, I think about the schizophrenia that comes along with being in the product world. You're getting a lot of inputs and you have your own ideas. So really, you have to check your own ideas as well as your ego at the door every morning. Um, your ideas, they could be the best, but they're they're not always. And so you really have to figure out a way. How do I, how do I make data-driven decisions? Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of the, the business side of it. Um, and, and there's a lot more that goes into that, right? Like I, I talked about earlier, does this align with our with our vision of what we want our product to be. Like, you know, there's the cheesy things that companies do that, or people think they're cheesy. Like, why do we have mission and vision statements? That's a way to check ourselves and saying, are we doing the right thing? You know, are we really aligned with the mission and vision that we set out to accomplish? So, you know, that that's just my approach to it. Mm-hmm. So, no, so I, there, there's no good split. It's always in flux. So that's, uh, I forgot to get to that part. It's always changing every day. You know, th- those algorithms are always going, we- when we commit to something, then it's off and running. But I always like to leave 20% for innovation. That's the way I think about that. We need to, we need to innovate. 
Yeah. So, I mean, I know you guys talk with the salespeople so you can help explain to them so they actually know what they're talking about when they're speaking to potential clients. Mm-hmm. But are you writing the requirements for the engineering and dev team as far as like, like basically being the voice of the customer of like, yeah. this is what we want? Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, I'll, I'll pick on SSO because I keep talking about that. You know, we'll create what's called a story. Um, which, you know, the, the, there's been a big migration away from writing very detailed requirements documents mm-hmm. and moving more toward, hey, I just need to say what what does the customer want? So, you know, at, as a customer, I want to be able to use existing authentication methods like Azure AD or Google Authent, uh, Google's authentication services uh, to authenticate into our product. And I leave it at that. Uh, there's not much else I have to say. Um, and then usually a product owner might need to refine that requirement for the engineering team, may have to prioritize what type or, or I would do it. Which technologies do we want to integrate with first? Are there screens that we have to develop? And, and like, so this is where it can get crazy. If, you're, if your team's larger, you mock up screens, you have a whole UX and design team that says like, how is this going to actually, when, you, when I give it to a customer, is it going to be functional, obvious on how to use it? So there's a lot that goes into it that, Again, if you're small, well, maybe you're the product person and you do it all. As mm-hmm. the team grows, there's different experts who can who can pitch in along the way. So how how is a product person like let's say that you hired me today and I'm your your vice president of product and I'm your new director of product, okay? Mm-hmm. How how am I measured for success or or a f- efficacy like like in three months six months nine months 12 months at my performance review what am i measured against or what are product people measured against <laughs> depends on your boss um okay, now, okay. <laughs> you know, some really good metrics typically are uh are things about uh, speed to market um you know the, there's that there's a saying out there that perfection is the enemy of good it, it's a really good saying um trying to figure, you know, are we able to take a concept and rapidly get it to market in an acceptable way? So that, you know, the minimal viable product. So if your vendors ever talk to you about that, it their intention isn't just to leave it like that. Sometimes they do because that was all that was really needed. But they're trying to get something out there that solves part of the problem. So one of the areas that, that I, I've been measured on in the past is retention. Um, customer retention, new customer acquisition, uh, market share. So we might look at something like total total addressable market and how much of that market share do we have as a company Mm -hmm, versus mm -hmm. our competition. Speed to market's a big one. How quickly can we go from idea to actual capabilities in the product that customers are giving us active feedback on? Um, There's a lot of other things. And and again, those, those measures should change to be aligned with the company goals. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, one of the things I remember, we had an objective to um, to really start uh, getting market share in Japan. And so we created a whole set of a product bucket, you know, that was how do we how do we go to market in Japan? And so execution toward that was something that I was measured on for that year. Um, and that was yeah, kind of a that strategic, was, right? It, kind of a strategic it, objective. Exactly. Exactly. And, and, you know, there, sometimes there's the there's the pull, pull the rabbit out of thin air type of things like we want 50,000 new customers. Um, so th- th- those are great stretch goals to have, and it gives you at least a target to run toward. Are you mm-hmm. always going to get there? No. But, you know, hey, the, the, probably the biggest thing that that uh, a lot of product folks are, mention, are, are measured off of is did we hit our targets from a sales perspective? Because um, really, at the end of the day, when you're a, when, when you're a, a vendor, your target is revenue driven a lot of times, especially mm-hmm. if you have uh, VC funding. And so everyone's really focused on can, how do we get there? And so there's, there's things underneath that, of course, but that's a big one too. Um, you know, Nick, I see your questions too. I'm just jumping over to Tom's really quick. Uh, Cause it's really interesting and ties to what we're saying is compensation tied to the success of the product. Something that maybe you don't have direct impact on? Uh, yeah, Tom, it's a good question. Again, it depends on, on the size of the company. Most most product leader roles do have some type of uh, bonus 
that that is tied to success of either their product line, their individual product under a product line, or the overall uh, company revenue. So that that's a, it's a common way of doing it, especially when you're smaller. And and, and again, this will be good for the startup talk. Um, mm -hmm. Comp structures get very different depending on the size of the company. Bob wants to know how you how you handle you know le uh, managing company goals and customer expectations, and he says while remaining profitable. Right, I'm sure well, that there there's a lot a, of this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know what? It it, it really it, there's there's a partnership there, and I think that's why. You know, I encourage people, like, get to know the, the product leaders at, at the companies that you really value as a partner, because that's how we see it. Uh, it. It is a balancing act, right? There's a lot of there's a lot of different people with different needs. And I'll say it doesn't just, you know, the company goals, the, the internal <laughs> the internal requests and requirements are are sometimes more onerous and rigorous uh, to accomplish than than the ones of the customers. So it's really a, it is a balancing act. Um, and, and that's where the prioritization, uh, prioritization that I mentioned earlier comes in really handy. So taking opinions out of it, because I will tell you that I can sit down with a salesperson and they'll say, if, if you don't get me this capability, it's 10 million of revenue. Um, now, if that's really the case, then they need, they need to actually sign up to guarantee that, you know, whatever revenue that is for me to change things. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I can sit and talk with the CEO and they have a brilliant idea and they say that that's the most important thing. And I make them go through the same exercise. Great. How much revenue are we to derive from that? Mm -hmm. um, you know, let, let's work. And then it's not putting the ball just back on them. Let's work together. What's the total addressable market? How do we think we're going to go to market there? Because when you start to break things down and you take, yeah, I'm a passionate person. Hopefully you all can see that. But when you remove the passion from this individual item and you get passionate about how do we prioritize all these great ideas? Mm-hmm. Typically, everyone is happy at the end of the day. And so the other thing, Bob, is if I address my customer expectations, usually the company goals are met. So th those two go hand in hand. If I have customers that hate uh, hate me and, and the products that we're delivering, then we're probably not going to hit our company goals. I don't know if anyone's going to hate you, Scott. Maybe <laughs> hate the product, but you're, you're, you're good people. I don't know anyone's hating you. I appreciate that. It's very nice. Yeah. So Nick's asking here, have you ever had a product that you really believed in that you had to scrap? It's a, it's an interesting uh, question. You know, or maybe a feature, maybe a feature. Yeah. I'm trying to think there's, there's always, uh, I'll give an example actually of one that just got really tough pushback, but eventually we got it done. Um, when I was at fish me, I'm like, I, I remember I was new to the company and, Fish me was the main product, right? How do you simulate phishing attacks and get people to learn from that? Brilliant idea. But I'm like, okay, well, that's that. I'm like, but we need to, the real problem is like the real phishing attacks. And so, yeah. you know, we're training all these people and we're telling them like, tell somebody, but they don't have a way to tell anyone. I'm like, what we need is a magic button. We need an easy button that sits in their, in their inbox. That they can easily report things. And I got a lot of internal pushback because people are like, oh, that's going to slow the sales cycle. And, no one likes to install software. Um, and so there was a lot of internal hesitation. Uh, so it took, you know what, instead of giving up on it or, or letting it get stra uh, scrapped, Nick, I said, you know what, I have to make a better case for it. I have to show why it's important, how it's strategic. So I had to sit down and, con like, and convince my, my peers at the company that this was really a good idea. You know, fast forward a couple of years when we finally did it. It was a phenomenal idea, um, and it really helped catapult the, the business in a different direction and enabled us to develop even more products based upon the, the incident management side of fishing defense. So I, I'd say never give up on it. Um, I'm sure there was something that was totally scrapped. I just can't think of one offhand. Yeah, and, and, well, yeah, and I mean, that's a million-dollar idea because right now Outlook comes with a report me button, right? I mean, they that's, copied mine. <laughs> Should have got that IP. Um, we do. I may or may not have patents. That's another cool thing. If you want to go into the product world, you can get your name on patents. That is cool. That's a that's a nice that life goal, little achievement unlock. You know, it's one of the things I never thought about going into it, and then, and then you you find out like you're you're talking to your patent attorney, and they're like, "Cool, we're gonna put your name on this." It's like, "Oh, neat." Yeah, ready to update the LinkedIn profile there. That's, I like that's that. Right. So, all right. So here's another tough question, Scott, and this is one if. If you are uh, watching this and you haven't seen any of my other kind of like day in the life talks, I have 
probably six or seven on Simply Cyber's YouTube channel, talking to different people, malware analysts, red teamer, blue teamer, et cetera. So I always ask this question and, you know, please, you know, with all respect, you know, what sucks about the job? Oh, um, you know, probably the, the, there's parts that I, that you dread, right? There is nothing worse than telling a customer, no, we're not going to do that. Mm. Um, that that's a, that's a tough one. The, the other thing that stinks is, uh, is over promising and under delivering. Um, you, you know, the, the world is, is not, uh, it, it doesn't lack good ideas. It, the execution is really the hard part. Um, and that's, it is collaborative, right? And that, the, that can fail between understanding the requirements properly um, to helping, you know, the folks in, uh, on the engineering teams who have to build the stuff, helping them understand what the problem that we're trying to solve is to getting proper testing. You know, there's a lot of things that can go wrong. It's not, you know, making software is not the easiest thing in the world. I should say making enterprise grade software, something that you give to a customer and secure and all those good things. So I, I think those are probably the two things that I just, I, I dread. I dread missing critical deadlines because of, especially if it's something that, that I missed mm. um, that I don't like telling customers. No, I, I never liked that either. Uh, like how, those are difficult conversations that listen, I know that this is, you feel like this is a great idea, but we, we don't. Um, and, and because you, you're looking to salvage the relationship. So telling them that their baby is ugly is not, it's not a fun part of the job. All right. Well, thank you. I mean, that's, that sounds like uh, an external, an, an externality that is just yep. beyond your control, but you can kind of manage it. Yeah. And, you know, one of those days, you know, maybe you come prepared with like a feature you are going to be rolling out that they might be interested in, you know, kind of. <laughs> yeah, uh, that, uh, all right. I'll, I'll give a, just because we have a good audience here, Jerry, yeah. I'm, I'm going to tell you, this is a product, uh, product manager trick. You're on a call with someone and you're, you are, you're, you're trying to figure out what do they want and they, they have an idea and they're super passionate about it. And it's an idea that you're actually working on and you just tell them, that's a fantastic idea. You know what? I, right when this call is done, I'm going to go see if we can squeeze that one in for, for next quarter or this quarter. And then, you know, in a few weeks that, that capability pops into your product and you email them personally and they're super delighted. Um, so uh, I, I many times let every customer who's asked for something believe that they are the reason that it was done. <laughs> I, you know what? Uh, it's, it's true. Right, because because the customers as a whole are asking for it. They did That's ask right. for it. It did show up. So it's not dishonest, but it's yeah, not. it definitely makes them feel special. I guarantee you that that's good for retention. <laughs> you know what? I, I will tell everyone in the audience here. Everyone is special. I, I love working with customers. So going back to your other question, it's it's always a painful experience when you're on a call with a customer who's just irate, and there's nothing you can do to to win back their. Um, kind of their trust in your ability to execute and solve their problems. So I, 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 uh, that's another part that I don't like. So I, I'd much rather see smiles on my customers' faces, see them happy, hear about their success. Um, Cause making, making the customer looks good mm -hmm. is what we're trying to do. Yeah. Tom Pike, just dr like dropping bombs, Tom. I love your questions. How product, how prominent an integration. And I love this question. It's a great one. Um, it, it's it's much more. It's in the forefront now, Tom. If, especially if you're if you're starting from an idea, uh, the the way that people are building now. The the other thing is API first mentality, right? Uh, APIs drive the the application, and you know if we need to put an interface over it, that's easy to do. But making data highly accessible, allowing teams to easily pull data out of platforms into their most comfortable workspace. Um, so I, th I think, you know, the, the, the single pane of glass, uh, it used to be a, a you know, a, a dream, a wish, but <laughs> if companies have a place where they want to work, I want to work there. You don't have to be in my product, but our product's going to do the thing that's helpful to your process. So th this is becoming much more common, Tom. There's still a lot of, uh, of older software out there where I think companies are trying to catch up, but I, I, th I think, uh, probably about five to 10 years ago, Vendors started to realize that I, I can't, I, I'm not going to be able to sell to someone if somehow my product makes their lives easier. So we started to adopt the, the th mindset of by adopting my product, I'm actually letting you derive more value from all those other investments that you have. So 
we're going to make you more efficient. We're going to make your process better. Um, and I think about that, especially from a SecOps perspective, like, gosh, alert fatigue, everything else, right? How do we, how do we make that a cleaner experience for, for our friends doing that job? Because it's a hard enough job as it is. Yeah. And just as a quick editorial for practitioners out there, I will say when you are evaluating products, and this is nothing to do with Scott, but when you're evaluating products, one of the things that you really should factor in is integration capability. Because I have had, I've been owner, I've inherited it, but I've been owner of an EDR solution that was I would call it second tier. So it's not it's not first tier. So then when you get these products that have EDR integration, you look through the drop-down list and surprise, surprise, your product's not there. All the other ones are there, but not yours. So that is incredibly frustrating. Um, but so just be cognizant of that. I, I will tell you, the product team reached out to me and they were like, oh, we'd love to develop an integration for you um, next quarter, maybe. You know, like <laughs> it's always next quarter. So I was like, all right, whatever. You Anyways, hold them to it. you got to hold them to it. Then you have to ask them for dates and updates. Exactly. Yes. Accountability is number one. Roy Keck. Um, uh, and I, I actually inter interface with Roy re late recently, uh, graduate of the cybersecurity GRC analyst course. Uh, he just calls out that he loves your strategy of, of basically making clients feel special yep. really in any capacity, whether you're a product manager or you're you know, your customer is your end users, right? Like you you work in cybersecurity office and end users are your, your, your uh, customer making people feel special. People like being made to feel special, right? It's just human nature. So spot on, uh, Scott in your technique. Um, Justin gold actually asked a, a really interesting question. It's getting a little into that startup life thing, but mm -hmm. I, I think we have the time for this question. He wanted to know in regards to VC funding, he read that VCs all are now asking for tokens in addition. Have you heard anything like that? And I asked him to explain what a token was because I didn't know what that meant. And he said it's a payment instrument that will function within VCAP ecosystem, pay, pay for its services. I'll defer to you, Scott, because I have no idea. I'm just reading the words. They're not registering with me. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll say the same. I, I know uh, VCs can ask for a lot of interesting things. I haven't heard this. Um, <laughs> it doesn't mean it's not a thing. Uh, just I haven't run into it yet. Um, and But as an aside, since we're talking about VCs, yeah. another neat thing about being uh, in a product role, a smaller company, is you get a lot of exposure to that process. So presenting to venture capital firms, helping them understand the value that you bring, uh, talking about strategic roadmaps and where you're going, where you're headed, why it's important. Um, so if you like to do that type of thing as well, the, the strategy piece is it's a fun part of what I get to do. Um, the, the playing referee uh, is, you know, is, is a, a real part of it, an important part, but sometimes it's not fun. You got kind of deconflicting people with different ideas. <laughs> so we talked a little while ago about some of the soft skills that might be transferable. We talked about Carrie's question about retail and um, project management skills and stuff like mm -hmm. that. Can you kind of um, enumerate what skills uh, – make a good product owners. So, and I'm thinking like maybe hard skills too, but for someone in the audience, who's like, okay, this sounds pretty interesting. Like I could, I could do this job and get into cybersecurity, but where are my gaps? Where do I need to work on in order to make myself more marketable to someone like you, Scott? So yeah. yeah can you kind of respond to that? Yeah, definitely. So I'll, I'll talk about the hard skills. If you're trying to break in, I, I think having the ability to, um, understand and articulate. So document a process end to end is really important. And, you know, you don't have to use fancy software. I still use PowerPoint for everything, uh, including image editing. So, um, it works, right? <laughs> you can it just put boxes. Work, on, yeah. Yeah. Heck the other day I, I drew a, you know, if, if you, aside from the process, um, being able to understand a process end to end though helps again, it helps other people understand where do we fit in and where are the problems that we're trying to solve. Uh, the other thing that's a, a great skill to have, uh, if you do have any type of design skills, what should something look like? How do we tell stories within an interface? Super important if you have uh, user experience skills and they don't have to be the type that is just with computers, but it's helpful if you know how to design things that are intuitive. Um, so there's a lot of the design piece that I think is very great to have if you're coming into the, the product world because that it, it, it's really easy for me to say, 
hey, we need a SSO integration, but we do have to design screens. What do those screens look like? What data are we asking for? What type of validations do we need? So being able to break something down from something very large into the smaller components with very clear requirements is a really big part of what we have to do day in and day out. And we do that in coordination with the engineering team, but a lot of that does fall back to us. We have to tell those stories so everyone understands what are we trying to do. So some other hard skills that translate um, are being proficient uh, with technology. You know, Again, if you're an organized individual, if you know how to use ticketing systems, again, you don't have to have a special ticketing system, but that's really important. Having excellent written communication skills. So this goes back, someone, asked about maybe being, um, if you're a little bit more introverted, uh, you may have excellent communication, written communication skills. That's a great facet and a great quality in a product leader because um, you're able then to articulate through words. Uh, so some people do it through images, others do it through words. Uh, some people like me, I like I talk a lot. Um, so th there's a lot of different, I would say those, those hard skills that you can bring to the table that I think make excellent product folks. Yeah, I mean, so as you're talking, I, I I can see where each of those skills would really map into that role. Mm -hmm. And but at the same time, I'm thinking, so I just released this GRC course, right? And in it, I put lecture and then labs. And like these are things that you should do because this is what you will do when you actually get the job. The things that you just talked about, like I totally get, like being able to effectively communicate, being mm -hmm. able to understand um kind of user workflows. But how, how could someone, you know, I guess, get those skills like communication? I mean, like, do you just talk more or do you take a class or do you read a book or, you know, like how can they operationalize those gaps or, or to put the question a different way, Scott, yeah. when someone comes, when you're reviewing resumes for potential candidates, what is, if, if, if none of them, of all your candidates, none of them have prior product management experience. What is it that catches your eye where you're like, okay, like that's let's we're gonna bring this person in. Oh, this one's let's bring this in, or this one's this one's missing something. Right. So one of the things I would look for, Jerry, that I do look for, if I'm getting a lot of candidates that don't have the traditional product management skills, I talked a little bit about hey, if you're a practitioner and you're bringing that to the table, there are a lot of the other things you can learn. Uh, but if someone's worked in a job function where they're an individual contributor, but they're responsible for cat herding, right? You know, I have to get all these other teams to work together to work toward a common goal. That's a huge, a huge skill. Um, and again, I, I don't know if there's a course that you can take to go out and, and get that skill set. But if you do that today, if you are working cross-functionally and you're interacting with a lot of different teams and helping them get to an end goal, th those are the types of things that as, as product people, we have to do every single day. We're always pulling in the right people to make sure that everyone's aligned and everyone's mm -hmm. on the same page uh, because there's always all the different spinning plates from the different stovepipes in the different parts of the organization. So marketing has their own things that they have to do. Sales is off trying to sell things. But if we have to pull everyone together, someone's got to do that. And that's why, again, that those project management skills are actually a great thing to have. So if I had a, one takeaway that if you would like to get into product management, there's plenty of project management uh, courses out there. And I haven't mm -hmm. done any of the, the LinkedIn courses yet, but I'm sure that there's some great ones in there. And I think they have a lot of free content now. So go out there, take some courses on project management. Um, you can get into the product side. Some of it gets confusing if you haven't worked in the space yet, but find a company who's looking for someone who would be a product owner or a junior product manager um, or just a product manager. Um, when you get into the director levels, Typically, they're looking for someone with experience. VP is usually leading the whole team or CPO. They'd be leading the entire function. So if, if you find a prod, product management job, just look at what they're asking for and map yourself to that. Um, highlight where you do those things and how you've done them in the past. And honestly, if there's anyone on this call that you're like, you want to have a follow up, I'm on LinkedIn. You can find me. Um, I'm more than happy to, to work with people who want to get into this field. It's a great field. And I think there's a lot of great people out there that would be highly successful in it. Yeah. And we had a question uh, about, do you need IT experience? Uh, Scott had mentioned earlier that you could come from marketing, you could come from sales, you could come from everywhere. So you don't necessarily IT experience, but I wanted to bring Brian's comment up here because uh, Brian's a member of the Simply Cyber community, um, you know, big fan of Brian's uh, also squad member I see here. So he, he, he had prior restaurant experience and he 
spent years talking to guests, managing with problems, staff. He didn't put this in here, but I, I have friends in food and bev. Like I'm sure dealing with the back of the house and front of the house staff is its entire, it's, it's a whole thing. Um, and those skills transfer. So two things I want to do here. One, I want to highlight to anyone that's listening. Don't think because you haven't worked at a tech company or you haven't had a cybersecurity job that all of your prior work experience, right? Like you're, you're 35 and you're switching roles and you want to pivot into cyber. Don't think that you've wasted 18 to 35 because your skills do have value and transfer into the industry. And I want to use Brian as the use case here to explain it. Uh, now, Scott, I'll throw it to you. Like, you know, what what are your thoughts around you know restaurant prior experience and how it might map? Oh, it, it maps great. And Brian, you hit it right, like perfectly. You hit the nail on the head. It's being able to talk to people and understand their point of view. It, it, it's it's a part of what I like. Every every interaction is that I'm trying to learn from that individual that I'm talking to or the group of people that I'm talking to. So skills like that are highly transferable. That's why I think I mentioned earlier too, anyone who's in customer success functions, that's a great pivot into product management. You're dealing with customers all day long. Um, you're just usually dealing sometimes with the angry ones. You're not getting the attaboys. <laughs> that has to come from internally. So I, I think that, Brian, I'm, I'm in the restaurant world, I'm sure it's a 50-50, it's a right? There's a lot of really good positive and then there's the, the not so positives. But being able to take those skills, they're, they're, they're totally translatable into product management world. So uh, we got a question with Tom Pike, but one question I want to ask before is like for a, for a call to action, for a takeaway for people in chat, like if I wanted to go look up an open junior, I guess, product owner, product management position or whatever, like I'm entry level, I, I'm, I've got 15 years restaurant experience, Scott, and I want to transfer and this sounds like it's for me. What do I type into like LinkedIn or where do I go to find open recs for these type of jobs? Oh, yeah. Or, what yeah, do I, or a, like, what's the query? Yeah. Yeah. I, I In LinkedIn, just put in product manager or product owner and that's, you'll product get a manager, whole ton. Yeah. And, and that's, that's, I will tell you, that's where you're going to see um, the difference in how someone structures that at sometimes a larger company versus a smaller company. And then you'll also see some some differences between software vendors and, and you know, tr more traditional product vendors, hard product vendors. So, you and, and again, I, I think the, the skills are definitely translatable from, from one industry to another. Um, and I think that you, yeah, like- I'm gonna try to do this right now. Okay, perfect. I just I just went to LinkedIn and typed in- Dell's hiring. Dell is hiring a ton of people right now, okay? Look, there's only 275,000 people looking for product managers. So, hey, real quick question, because this was Tom's question, and it's going to tie yeah. into what we're doing here. How important is face-to-face -face versus working remote? These oh, positions uh, are all remote. Yeah, the, you can do things remote. Uh, listen, we're having a great conversation here, and we're not near each other. Um, I, I think the world has changed tremendously. Face-to-face uh, -face becomes important maybe if you're going to a customer site or if you have a really strategic problem that you're trying to solve. Like if you're road mapping for the next year, that's the time to travel to a, to a common location, lock yourselves in the room, get lunch uh, delivered, you write everything on the board, you transcribe that, and you have your vision set out. There's time and place for in-person meetings. Uh, but that's not uh, – to me, that that's a broader thing that's changed all over. So uh, more – more uh, tactile is that when I was at CoFence, I was in FishMe, I was remote the whole time. So I sat in actually in this room and I would conduct my meetings with my mm -hmm. team, with customers, uh, with the rest of the senior leadership team. And, you know, this is where I spent a lot of my time. And then I would travel for those key, those key meetings, I'll call them the important ones. Yeah. I, I like it. So it's not just meeting for meeting's sake, but it's got you um, it. you know, there's an objective. So this, this job has 12 plus years experience. So let, let's, I, I really want to do this really quick, uh, Scott, like I have no idea if this is going to work or not, but I want to do uh, product manager and then maybe entry level. Is that. Yeah, you can, you can try that. Or sometimes people have junior product managers. Okay, let me do product manager, product manager, and then experience level entry level. It's 40,000 results, people. So we're going we're gonna to make magic today. 
Okay, so I'm just gonna. Okay, uh, Google. Google's hiring. That's I've heard of them. They're they're a big company. So let let's just check this out right now, really quick. Okay, Kirkland, Washington. Uh, about the job, I just want to see bachelor's degree, ten years of experience in product management. So that doesn't really feel entry level to me. That doesn't feel entry level at all. <laughs> okay, let's. That hold on, that's not a, yeah. Product manager, risk and compliance. All right, so. You take the GRC analyst course and you want to work in product. Let's see how this one's doing. Um, what you'll do, perform trade surveillance. Perform trade surveillance. Is that a thing? What does I that mean? It, it must be It must be specific to whatever their they product do. is. Yeah. Five years of experience with compliance and regulatory systems and financial services. So this one's got a little bit of a background. So it looks like you might have to dig a little deep to find the truly entry level um, opportunities, yeah, but there's forty eight thousand jobs listed here. There, there's a lot, and people are people are hungry for for people who are hungry. That's what I'm going to say. If you don't mind, Jerry, I can read off a couple of the requirements that I have in mind. These yeah. these are the nice to haves. Um, you, you know, uh, Scott, is there a website I can go to where this is posted? This one's not or, posted anymore because okay. I, I already hired for it. <laughs> oh, oh, okay, okay. Well, then let me know. Can, yeah, go ahead. I can rattle a couple off, but, you know, we, we, I talked about some of these earlier, you know, cross-functional team engagement. Um, and that's just the ability to work across different functions. Uh, so mm -hmm. if you've done that in your job, that's translatable. Um, a program or team management. So if you've managed people or if you work at a company where you manage programs, usually program managers don't have large teams. They're about setting like the direction and the strategy for a program, highly translatable into product management. Um, if you, uh, what else did I have? Oh, okay, prior experience working for a vendor or working uh, as a decision maker evaluating vendor solutions. So if you're, if you're on the, that's the practitioner. If I, if I work at a company and I have to bring in the vendors and evaluate them and understand what's the pros and cons and which one I want to choose, that's actually a great set of skills that you can bring over into the product world. Um, ability to convey vision to, to teams and external customers, internal teams and uh, internal and external customers, I'll call it that. Um, like things like that are really important. And again, I, I, I'll give another example. Like when I go early morning to like a Home Depot or Lowe's, there's always a team meeting happening because I go, I go when they probably don't want customers yet, but there's these team meetings happening. That is a translatable skill. You are leading people. You're conveying a vision for the day. So, you know, I, I think never discount the skills that you have or how they could relate. I think the biggest piece here is finding a company who's like, yeah, we're actually looking for someone who maybe doesn't have all the baggage that a 10-year or 12-year product manager has. Mm -hmm. um, we have someone else to do that. We want someone to come in and be really focused on converting an idea into specific requirements for the team to execute on. I love making it. Sure, yeah, making it like blowing roadblocks out of their way. Justin's loving you as a guest and can't wait for you next time. So we'll we'll, we'll definitely schedule it up. We're, we're just about at time here, Scott. So let me give you the floor for a minute. Final thoughts, anything you'd like to share with uh, the community, and then we'll say goodbye to you. Yeah, uh, I'll keep it brief. I mean, I'm just, Jerry, thanks so much for having me on, but thanks everyone for joining today. Uh, I, I will reiterate that if you have questions, if you want to learn more about product management, feel free to reach out. If you're looking for your first job in it or how to grow in it, reach out to me on LinkedIn. Um, it, there's a vast space like Jerry showed you and the skills that you have are always translatable. Sometimes you just need to learn a little bit more about, about the specific field that you're going into. So either if it's cybersecurity and like, you know, the, I like Jerry's uh, examples, if you want to go work for an EDR vendor, really understand that space. And it doesn't mean you have to be the expert. You just have to understand it and be able to talk confidently about it. Um, it but always make sure you highlight all the skills that you have that are relatable to um, to the job that you're applying uh, for. Actually, that's one other thing I'll say. I've gotten resumes, folks, where someone has taken everything they've ever done in their life and they slapped it onto seven pages and it's confusing. Um, it, it's, it's very helpful if you take a few minutes, uh, have, your, have your big CV ready, but then pull out the things that are really relevant and, and think about how you talk about what you did and how it translates to the role that that person's trying to fill. That goes so much further than you would ever imagine. 
because um, you're taking the guesswork out of, out of how do your skills potentially translate into what role we're trying to fill. So I, I think that that's a great way to do it. And again, I'm happy to, to and Tom, thank you for sharing that. Um, I'm happy uh, to, to extend out an offer to help anyone out if they're really looking to get into this career. Yes, thank you so much, Scott, for coming, for sharing um, you, you know, your experience, um, answering all the questions. We're definitely going to bring you back on for Startup Life, no doubt. <laughs> and people will look forward to that. But thank you so much for your time, Scott. I, I'm going to send you off to the green room now. All right. So guys, thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed our, our stream today. Obviously, Scott was fantastic. Definitely brought it. I see some great comments in chat here. We'll bring them back on for Startup Life, probably in June timeframe because I'm booked out through there. But guess what? Next week, you know, you know I love cybersecurity and I am in charge of the programming here. So I get to go in any direction I want. We talked product management as a role this week. Next week, we're ripping the hood off of uh, software and getting our hands wicked dirty. Okay, guys, Josh, Josh Strohshine, Dr. Josh Strohshine, he went to the, um, Dakota State with me. We, we went through the same PhD program. This guy knows his stuff, okay? He is an expert. When I say expert, he's like a like leader in the space on reverse engineering, software exploitation. He like lives and breathes assembly, right? He, he just eats it up. He lives in Ghidra. Like that's how he thinks, okay? He's gonna come on. We're gonna talk about reverse engineering as, as kind of a role in the industry, but also you know, what, what skills are needed right now and what is the developing area, right? Ghidra came out a few years ago when the NSA released it. How has that impacted the use of IDA? And you may notice in the white font on the top left, it says live demo. I don't know what, it, what we're going to do yet, but I'm assuming it's going to be a piece of malware. At least that's what I'm going to angle for. Josh is going to rip open some malware, walk through either Ida or Ghidra. Hopefully we can zoom in. He's going to be pointing out what his logic is, what his thought process is. Maybe we'll pull out WannaCry and see the kill switch. I don't know. I don't know, but it's going to be fantastic. So whether or not you're a tech person or you really enjoy any of this, uh, I think you will get value out of it no matter what, because at minimum, you'll learn a bit more about what the specific role is from an expert and, and like expert really doesn't even convey his level of knowledge. Also guys, tomorrow at 8 a.m. we'll be doing first things first, that daily threat briefing that we do every single day. So if you don't know about it, go to simplycyber.io slash FTF and it will drop you right into the next upcoming streams, which will include tomorrow morning's stream. I hope to see you there. We have about a hundred people every single morning. It's coffee, it's community, it's cybersecurity. It's like basically everything I love. I appreciate y'all sticking with us. I hope you got some value out of this. Definitely hit the like button if you want on the way out. But until next time, stay secure.